This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, a Catholic fraternal benefit society dedicated to helping members achieve financial security through life insurance while supporting the Catholic community through fraternal outreach. You have a louder voice than I do. I'm just noticing that. I'm so honored. And I noticed it because a couple of weeks ago when we, uh, we started recording, your voice was quieter than mine. And I was like, how is that even possible? And then I had to futz with it later. But I think it's, you've done a lot more preaching than I have. It's true. I used to get, I used to lose my voice often early on in my priesthood. And, um, and I think, I think the longer, I mean, preaching regularly and, you know, multiple masses every Sunday, it does, it builds up your, your vocal well, muscles. Well, keep it down. You don't, sorry, I'm sitting sorry. right in front of sorry, you. Sorry. <laughs> you have a more, you have a more uh, bassy, chesty range. <laughs> I have to EQ the low end. I've got a little black knob here that keeps oh, it yeah, yeah. keeps it under control. I a couple of months ago, maybe this was a year ago actually, somebody uh, a fellow Catholic on Twitter asked a question: Is there anyone that you pray to that's not a saint? Ooh, and this this very long thread ensued uh, of names you know probably people haven't haven't heard of, and there I realized that I there are four that I, I pray to and with on a regular basis. Yeah. That is Father Patrick Payton. Never heard of him. If you haven't seen the film Pray, uh, he's the subject of the film Pray. It's an amazing, amazing documentary. He had a devotion to the rosary and he did this, uh, he, he got all these Hollywood stars to come together, even when huh. they weren't Catholic, to, to just for like an hour of like faith-based programming on television huh. and to encourage families to pray together. And his phrase was, uh, families that pray together, stay together. That was his little moniker. I wonder if he's the guy who invented that or if he stole it from somebody else. I'm almost positive it was his, according to the documentary. <laughs> um, and so he would tour, you know, travel all, all over the country with his rosary in his hand. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a super elaborate, uh, elaborate strong word, eloquent speaker. You know, he's just this big Irishman. But he just had a way of convincing people. And there was this great story. He, he came to a very famous actress. I don't remember who it was, Ginger Rogers or somebody, and, and asked her to be on the show. And initially she said no. And right in front of her, he dropped to his knees and he started praying his rosary. And she was so mortified that to get him to stop, she agreed to come on the show. Um, but he, he I need reached... to I need to start doing that when I'm asking people in the parish to help out. Well, I'll think about it, Father. Well, while you're thinking about it, I'll be right here praying the rosary. Pray rosary. <laughs> Don't mind me. It's brilliant. He had a very childlike spirit, and he would travel all over, millions and millions of people, um, with the message of, of praying together and, and praying the rosary. So he was one guy. And then I read about this bishop out in the Old West, Bishop Patrick Manick, hmm, never he ended up being the Bishop of Sacramento. Um, now, the, the advantage of praying to people that nobody have ever has ever heard of is that, like, they got a lot more free time to answer your <laughs> prayers. This is... I mean, everybody's praying to St. Anthony and St. Yes, Joseph right. Saint and St. Therese Saint Jude. You know, they're like, oh, I, can't, I can't get there. So like, you know, you're like, well, let me, let me find somebody else yeah. who's got a little this bit more guy's free probably time. Got, now, this is, this is for maybe a more naive listening audience member out there. This is Catholic humor. The idea, of course, <laughs> is in heaven there is no time. Ergo, they have all the time. 
needed. Uh, <laughs> so I like to think uh, that I could have maybe a more particularly unique relationship mm, yeah. with someone. So, so Bishop Patrick Maddock, there is a book about him, uh, one book, small book. It's on eBay. Uh, it's probably like 100 years old. And there's some great stories about this. He was at one time the only priest in the entire state of Nevada, hmm. which just sounds crazy. And he started a little orphanage and was just loved by her. He, was, he would go around um, and you could, they said you could tell the, the, the Indian villages he'd been to because all these little kids had baptismal names and little religious trinkets from him and that she knew he'd been through there. Uh, so really, really neat stories. He's a big guy, 6'5", 300 pounds. And uh, still, still remembered in Sacramento as a as a holy man. Still, some areas over there named for him, and is the subject of my play uh, in June. And then the third was Father Hugh Flattery, which hmm. was he Never was featured in uh, in the film Scarlet and the Black. Oh yeah, yeah, I've yeah. heard of him. Yeah, Father Hugh Flattery. I saw that film and was like, man, that guy's it's, awesome. It's a it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a it's a Gregory fun Peck movie. Gregory great, Peck, great. Uh, a, a, a salt and pepper Gregory Peck, yeah, uh, plays this the priest, a true story, uh, um, hiding Jews in the Vatican, and there was this like you know painted border that the priest could not cross. Right, that was Vatican deal. Vatican State, you know, and you you were safe there. Yeah, you cross over, you're subject to the. I was man, I was deeply moved by that film for two reasons: one, Father Hugh Flattery, and two. Um, the Vatican, like, has not been touched by, like, bullets or bombs or anything. Like, it's just been there for a thousand years, more? I mean, the whole history of it, I, I'd, I'd have to, I mean, at one point, you know, there's the papal states, the Pope owned lots of land, and then some point it, you know, got dissipated, dissipated which is probably, it's probably for the better, yeah. but yeah, it's just one little plot of landlocked yeah, so I was Nation blown away, State. like amidst all the world wars surrounding the Vatican was just completely untouched. But there's these, th- there's these three Irish priests. <laughs> They're my buddies and uh, great spirits in all of them. And then there's, um, there's a writer that I love. He writes occasionally for the Catholic thing. His name's Michael, I think it's Pakalik or Pakaluk. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. We've emailed back and forth. Um, and I reached out to him because he had 14 kids. And I was like, What? Like, how is it even possible? And I found out because his first wife died hmm. uh, breast cancer at 41, and they had seven kids together. And uh, she has a, there's a book about her that, that I've been afraid to read because the, just the articles and pieces that I read about this gal were, were um, overwhelmingly beautiful. I get that way sometimes, that, like I need to be a certain, my heart needs to be in a certain place sometimes to explore a person's sanctity. And I'm not quite there yet for his wife, Ruth. Um, and I think he's considering writing a, a book now about her. He's, he's got another wife, a wonderful gal. She's a, um, a professor, I think philosophy professor. And they've got seven kids. So uh, it's an amazing story. So those are kind of the, the four that um, I, I, uh, I talk to on a, on a regular basis. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, joking aside, you know, obviously we... The, the saints, yeah, they don't, they don't, they're not subject to time in the same way. But then that brings up a good theological question, like, so can I just pray to anybody? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can. Is that were you no. answering? I'm saying, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Literally anybody. Literally anybody. <laughs> favorite musician, favorite Hollywood actor. As long as they were a good person. As long as they were a good person. Heretic. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, I, th- I think like sometimes we get too, I mean, we, let's go to, you know, when the, when the Jesuits were going to evangelize China and Japan, one of the things they ran into was what was called ancestor worship. Hmm. And I mean, the Asian cultures have a great devotion to the memory of their loved yes. ones. Um, I mean, we do too. I mean, this is, this is why we have gravestones with names on it and right. memories and you go there on anniversaries of deaths and you put flowers there right. and you, you might, you might talk to that that person, even though they're deceased, yeah, you know, it's a very it's like, natural thing right? to want to do. So, so we, people just do that. You know, you have pictures of loved ones that you remember and, you know, you can think of moments in movies where somebody's holding the picture of the loved one and say, I miss you so much. Like, who are you talking to? The picture? Well, no, they, they believe they're talking to the person, right? So the ancestor worship, what they start, what they, re- at first they're like, well, we can't, you can't do that. You have to stop if you want to be Christians. You can't do that. What they realize is like, they're not, they're not worshiping them. Yeah. They're honoring them. They're yeah. revering them, their memories. And, and so the, uh, eventually they said, no, that's, that's okay. That's a, a type of veneration. Um, so to, to pray, obviously we can pray for our deceased loved ones, but praying to. Now, I wouldn't say just like, hey, I just pray to anybody. Um, but sometimes I think we can be a little bit scrupulous and like, well, unless unless they're beatified, um, canonized, you know, I'm not going to not going to mess around, you know. But here's here's some here's some beautiful things, right? I have some friends who um, I forget if it was their their fifth child uh, was born very, very early with some some disease mm, um, and uh, and died shortly after birth. Hmm. However, they had time to baptize the baby and confirm him even. Wow. And and we actually know with with certainty that, that child is in heaven. Yeah. And every night when they say their their meal prayer, they always say and Saint I think his name is uh, it's either John or Andrew. I forget, but Saint Andrew, pray for us. Huh. You know, it's like they they know, and they've taught their kids who growing up. You know, they were little when he died, but they've taught their kids like your little brothers in heaven. Saint Therese of Lisieux, she would pray to her little siblings all the time because they were born, baptized, and she knows with certainty that they're in heaven. Huh. So you can pray to those people that are in heaven. Um, I was just actually just recently um, I was uh, I was thinking about my my grandpa and you know I, I don't think you can just pray to your grandpa because you liked grandpa but when there's when there's reason when there's good reason to believe that somebody is in heaven um, or at least in purgatory uh, you can pray to them yeah you know and so my grandfather who you know came back to the church late in life uh, you know, very faithful to his, his prayers, his rosary, adoration, Sunday mass, daily mass. I mean, wow. reading the Bible. I mean, um, he was he was not a perfect man, you know, and he certainly made most of his mistakes earlier in life. Um, and then as he got closer to death, you know, 
gone to confession, received the anointing of the sick. And then in his last week, me and my priest cousin were there in his room. I think he got five masses, received Holy Communion, received Viatican oh, five oh, times, wow. received the apostolic pardon and the anointing uh, last rites uh, five or six times. You know, so it's like, it's like when somebody is just immersed in the sacraments yeah. like that, there's, there's actually a really good reason to believe that they're, they're in heaven. I mean, that's, that's the Lord's promise. When we're, when we're faithful, he's faithful. Right. You know, um, so I, I, was just, I was just thinking the other day, uh, like, I should, I should pray to grandpa more because I know he's at least in purgatory. Yeah. And he might have some suffering to do for things in his younger days, but, you know, he's, he was good with the Lord. Yeah. Huh. I so. mean, it's, uh, it's quite a way to maintain uh, communion and fellowship. Yeah. And as a reminder of this mystical body of Christ that we belong to, this is kind of a roundabout way of having the conversation of why do Catholics pray to saints? And I'm, I've had that conversation quite a bit. It, it is a very, even, even C.S. Lewis, who didn't really have that devotion himself at, uh, to a friend in that way. But I, I found it... Um, I've never prayed to C.S. Lewis, but I have prayed to Tolkien... Ooh. In Chesterton. Yeah, there you go. I prayed I prayed at G. Oh, GK's another one, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He's he's number five. I forget that he's not even servant of God or anything. Well, I think he is a servant of God. There is a cause of beatification open yes. for him. Yes, 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 that's yeah. correct. I don't think Tolkien, but I think, I mean, Tolkien was a good good Catholic man. I think yeah. died with the sacraments. Wonderful, a wonderful uh, quote you can find um, on his life. And certainly, and there's, I don't know if you've seen, um, the, did you see the, the biography, the film about him called Tolkien? No. It's a great movie. It came out, I think, in 2019 called Tolkien. Now, Things happened in 2019? <laughs> yeah, wait, <laughs> what was that was year Was that like? a year? <laughs> time, all time is so screwed up. It's a great movie. Now, of course, as with any, any movies like this, they tend to skip over the, well, we don't want to show them praying the rosary or in mass or anything like that. Let's mm. just show them with his friends and falling in love. Fine. That was a part of his life. Okay, fine. But there's an amazing moment, amazing, amazing moment towards the end of the film, because the film starts with him on the battlefield looking for a friend, and the rest of the film plays in flashbacks, keeps coming back to him trying to find this missing friend of the battlefield. So at one point, he's crawling out of the, the foxhole, and it's just death and destruction, mud and blood and explosions, and... And all of a sudden, he's, the, the camera just pans across this, this raging battle, and, it, and you see this dragon kind of pass through the battlefield hmm. in the clouds. And, uh, and an orc, and you, and you see Tolkien's imagination kind of coming alive on the battlefield. This is, this is kind of where the birth of Lord of the Rings came to him, was his experience in World War I. And the camera begins to move through the battlefield, weaving through bodies and blood and fighting and orcs and dragons. And all of a sudden it's Christ on the cross. Hmm. The camera passes Christ crucified. And I just lost it. Hmm. I was like, just thinking about it. Like I got to watch that movie again. It was an amazing moment. Cause you see, of course, in Tolkien, his imagination, a beautiful, beautiful imagination. So I, I should add him to, uh, I should add him to the list. No, um, I already called him. <laughs> you don't call, you don't get to claim them. But like, for instance, my mother and father, I've witnessed their, their life, my whole life of 40. I've witnessed at least 40 years of their, of their life. 
And I don't like to think about them being dead and gone, but certainly when they are, I'll know, like, I'm going to ask my mom to pray. I can still ask my mom to pray for me, my dad to pray for me. Um, so there's a, there's a wonderful hope there, but it's a great way, I think, to explore f- folks that deserve more, uh, you know, more attention for their sanctity. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, like, at some point, every saint wasn't canonized, you know, and how did they get to be canonized? Well, popular devotion, people started praying to them and then miracles started happening yeah. and then they were canonized. You know, so this is actually how it, how it starts. Yeah, it doesn't start with the church going, hey, we, we heard about this great person. Everybody, you should talk to him. You should pray right, this person. Right, right, yeah. Well, I remember, I remember like, um, what was it, 2000, 2004, um, 2005, uh, my mom called and said, John Paul II just died. And I had like, I had the last, the last several years of his life, I'd totally gotten into him and was reading everything and um, just really, uh, really beautiful. I got off the phone. I just sat down on the, on the couch and I started praying to him, not for him. I was praying to him, Yeah, you know, cause I was just like, no doubt in my mind, the level of sanctity in his conformity to Christ that, you know, uh, he went, he went straight to heaven, you know, no, no doubt in my mind. In fact, well, it's a, a little bit, a little bit tangential, but like I've always had this, like this, uh, just this beautiful connection to John Paul. And I remember when I was, um, when I was in the Franciscans, and somebody had given us a book about him, and it was written by his uh, his uh, his secretary, assistant, priest. You know, um, it's called My Life with Carol, I believe. Yeah. And and so he's writing like from a, from like the perspective of like right here next to you. You know, like you've heard all the stories, but he tells the story and says, and the gun fired, and then His Holiness fell onto my arm. So you're like, whoa. You know, he's like, he's right there. You know, <laughs> right in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, but he tells the story of when John Paul uh, died, and I'm reading this. I'm reading the story, and we're in our little our little friary, and we don't really have doors. You know, it's like just curtains on the doorways, and and so within like, and the doors are the walls are really thin. They're just plywood and super. You know, <laughs> there's no privacy. <laughs> and I start. I get to the part where he's dying. I just start bawling. Wow. And he's not canonized at this point too. So I'm just like bawling and trying try not to let the other brothers hear me bawling because I don't want them to think I'm like, you know. Yeah. Re- regretting your choices in life or something. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how saints are come about. Like, you know, everybody's praying to this guy and miracles are happening. We should probably canonize him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You, you look back, this would be a bit of a tangent, but it was in, in large part his example of not waiting hundreds of years hmm. to canonize mm-hmm. somebody. He did. He kind of sped up a lot of canonization. Some of that was just the sheer volume of martyrs produced in in the 20th yeah. century. But if there are 20th century saints that you are devoted to, it's likely they're likely sainted because of of Pope St. John Paul the Great. I mean, uh, I don't know, I could be wrong, but Maximin Kolbe, pretty much anyone from World War II we can account to him. And then... Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the beauty. Like, you know, the guy whose life he saved was still alive when he was yeah. at least beatified. Maybe canonized yeah. too. I can't remember. Um, 1987. Right? And I don't remember. Somewhere around there. Um, and then, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Maria Goretti. 
you know, her mom and the guy who killed her were still alive at her Jeez. beatification, canonization, you know. Um, so it's like, yeah, recent, recent history. Sometimes it takes 100 years, 200 years, and nobody, nobody, by the time they get canonized, nobody remembers them. Right. But people have been praying to them for many Yeah, many and years. of course, the, the church does that out of, out of caution. But then, you know, Pope Benedict comes in and is pretty much immediately canonizing his, his friend. Yeah. Right? That was only... Was that like a couple of years? Oh, I forget. I forget the exact dates on beatification, canonization, but it was it was pretty quick. And I mean, that, that to me makes sense only because he had observed so closely the life of this friend for so long. Yeah. Well, and that's... Uh, Mother Teresa was canonized by... Or be at least beatified by John Paul. And the same yeah. thing is like, well... I knew her, <laughs> you know, so like I didn't, I didn't have to wonder, you know, it's like, there's no, there's no, I mean, that's the thing, like, like true sanctity cannot be, um, faked. It can't be faked. Yep. Yeah. It can be hidden, you know? Um, I mean, they're, they're super, and that's the thing. There's super holy people, saints in heaven who we'll never know about because yeah. they just like these silent saints. Um, but like meeting somebody and knowing somebody, it's like if they're holy, they're not fake in it. Yeah. That, that, that sort of thing comes out. And this is why, like, I mean, even in our day, we've had founders of religious orders who it's like it's come out. No, they were... There's always some... There, you know, if you start looking into a beatification process and like, ooh... And that's actually happened. Yeah. So like, oh, he was, he he faked it. Well, it'll come out. Yeah, it'll come out. Yeah, that's a it. It's a it's it's a funny thing to think about. Like, if if you're if you're listening and you're like, I want to be a saint, recognize that what that means that someday after you're dead, a couple of guys are going to dig through your entire life <laughs> yeah, writing. Yeah, right. And today, that could mean like. Everything emails. you ever posted on Instagram. I mean, social media posts, text messages, all your friends. I began to think about that. A oh, man. It was just like back in, back in probably 2014, I think, my dad, this is back when I was non-denominational, my dad asked me if I was interested in becoming a pastor. And I wasn't. And I'd known for a while that I wasn't. And when you're a kid, you just sort of imagine you're going to do whatever your dad does. And that was fine with me. But when I kind of got up around there and I had started doing some ministry work, this is right around when I was doing my prison ministry and, and I had been serving, occasionally speaking and, and, and preaching and serving in music ministry and all of that and leading small groups and all, all, all of the things. But when he asked me, I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that because um, not, not because I knew they would have to dig through my life a little bit, but that's the process. They want to see your tithe history. They can't. You can't be a pastor oh, if, wow. for instance, you haven't been tithing for years. All right? This came up a couple of times. No, with a guy who had not like ever tithe. Like, we want to make you a pastor who is not tithing. So he sought at the time to correct it, and uh, um, and so they waited for time to correct it, and then they they ordained him. So I just think it's funny huh. that that's a good standard. Right, so when you look at at saints in the process, of well, yeah, I mean, in the, in the Catholic world, it's like background checks and psychological exams, a devil's and advocate, six years of seminary formation, yeah, just to like they want to make sure that they don't, you know, you don't oh yes, for becoming a through, priest, fake it through there, correct? Yeah, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh, it's incredibly, it's incredibly rigorous. Yeah. And we used to we used to quote that verse, you know, that the the Pharisees noted this is an ax that that Peter and those guys were uneducated, yeah. but they'd been with Jesus. Now, of course, they they walked with Jesus 
they walked with him and talked to him. That, that must that must equal like a three hundred years of seminary. I don't, know, I don't know what the math works out to. So it is a little it is a little different. But at any rate, you know, I appreciated that thoroughness. But I was like, I really I really don't need the pressure of being a, a pastor. And and what's funny to me is part of part of the sanctity. We talked about Fulton Sheen uh, um, earlier today. He's he's a guy that I just. I'm just nuts about, I just want to read everything he's ever written and listen to everything he ever recorded. He's so much fun to watch. Um, so many great videos. Harder to get canonized in the modern era. Yeah. Because there's always something um, and we have record of it. Yeah. And not like, not that the early saints were, you know, avoiding, right. you know, like just dodging right. all these bullets. Um, we had, we have more opportunities to sin, I think. <laughs> Maybe then. Maybe. But uh, yeah, it's it's certainly like you said this one thing one time, like it was a joke. Everybody I was with knew I was joking. Doesn't sound like a joke. <laughs> You're canceled. Isn't that wild? You know? We were getting all, uh, I know I know Dale Alquist personally. He's he's carrying the process for G.K. Chesterton. You know Dale, of course, yeah. very well. Uh, uh, you were, he was in your parish for a while. And he uh, he's talked about, I've been kind of following what it's like to to carry that process of canonization and the frustration that comes uh, with it. I've been kind of in, in the mix with him. Well, not in the mix, but kind of watching him in the mix. And it's it's very, it's worth it. A guy for me that's take well, there's two guys for me that have, that have, I'm very interested in their cause. And that's Blessed Pure Giorgio Frassati, hmm. who I, I had the privilege of playing which is a really weird way to get to know a saint is basically to pretend to be them for yeah, like yeah. a month. Almost no Catholic will ever do that just on their own. So it was a great privilege. I'm very interested in his cause. And he, he was found incorrupt. And then they opened his casket up and carried his body through the rain in the streets. So not so incorrupt anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, one of the guys, uh, I don't know if we've talked about him on the podcast, but um, Jacques Fesch, who I wrote a play about, and again, got to know him super well by writing a play Jeez, about no, him. Jeez, no, I haven't heard of him. And uh, maybe we'll talk about him another time, but yeah, he's, there's a cause open, and I don't know if it's gone anywhere, but again, because like, there's all these politics that you're dealing with, and for him, he's it's hard to get him canonized because his big sin was that he killed a cop. Jeez. We didn't have his conversion until prison, okay? <laughs> so like, that was actually part of the part of the deal, but... Um, so of course, like you, you canonize him and you're saying that oh, cop killers are okay. It's like, well, that's not what we're saying. Or, you know, um, Pius the 12th, right? Well, he was anti-Semite, which isn't true, but like, it makes it hard for the church. Like, well, we could canonize him, but then people are going to get mad at us. Yeah. And, um, we got enough problems on our hands. And so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, every, everything's political. Everything's political. Not that we make saints for political reasons, but sometimes they get held up for political reasons. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, it's like it doesn't it doesn't make them it doesn't make them a saint. It doesn't make them in heaven. You know, canonization doesn't like, oh, you just got sprung from purgatory. Yeah. It's like no, they're there. The the church is declaring it and saying, hey, for those of you who are unaware about this person and would like to pray to them. You know, feel feel free. Yeah, but I think in general, our, um, you know, we don't we don't just automatically start praying to grandma or grandpa or dad or you know, um, whoever. There, this is some some reasonable belief yeah. that yeah they they embodied Christ and 
I'm, I'm fairly confident that they're they're on their way, if yeah. not if not seeing the Lord face to face. That's just such a, to me it was such a beautiful devotion because it it gives obviously they they're a reflection of Christ and they point us to Christ. Right, that's Mary's whole role is to mm-hmm. point us to Christ, and the saints do that very well. There was another guy that uh, Pope Benedict declared blessed, and that was Blessed Franz Jägerstatter, who was a, a conscientious objector to the Nazis in Austria. He oh. one in this village, and that was the film Hidden Life was about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't him. seen that. Oh my gosh, I just watched it again. It's just breathtaking film, and I'm I'm now going through his biography. There's only one biography, and the guy that wrote it, George Zahn. Uh, wrote it only about 25 years after he was beheaded. And he went into the village and, and got to talk to everybody. And the, the trick with, with Franz was most of the village remembered his, his pre-conversion personality. Hmm. It was his post-conversion um, that was only four or five years before he was gone from the village and in prison and then beheaded. And so it's interesting to listen to, you know, George really went through and interviewed everyone talking about the Franz that they knew, the fighter, the brawler, um, a bit of a Lothario, had the first motorcycle and all of that. And they all kind of thought he was nuts, that this choice that he made and that they knew would cost him his, his life and, and certainly did. And But he's a guy that, to me, embodied the word no. And I was telling this to a friend last week, is really, to be a saint, you just have to know how to say yes and no. Yeah. That's really it. That's about all it takes. Uh, yes to Jesus and no to everything else. And there you, go. you are you are on your way. And I remember watching that film over a year ago thinking, no, that's about the most, I mean, yes to Jesus is one thing, but saying no uh, for the rest of your life is really, really hard, especially when it costs you something. Yeah. And he just embodied that so well. He just could not, even even when it was something as small as just write your name on this letter and just say you support Hitler and we'll send you home. He's like, right. I can't do it. Right. I right. can't, I can't, just a great man of conscience. And so I want to remember these guys. Well, that was, I mean, this is actually interesting in the, in the play you just did, 1984. Oh, yeah. It's like, that, that was what the, the, the whole, opposite. the whole goal is like, we want to get them. We don't want them to, we don't want them to just say this. We want to actually convince them. Yes. We want to actually, you know, it's like, and it, that's kind of, that's kind of the diabolical operations of the evil one. It's like, it yeah, really is. He, but he'll actually, he will actually settle for us just lying about something. Very much. Yeah. Lots of little no's eventually lead to big no's. Yeah. Lots of little concessions and compromises eventually lead to big ones. And, and that play too, again, was such a great example because we saw, you saw what happens when a person is not filled with Christ and with the courage uh, that comes with being a Christian. That because well, they yeah. said they'd lay down their life. They lay down, but you can't. You can't lay down your life yeah, for. What are you going to die cause? for? Uh, an equation, right? You're not going to die for two plus two equals four. You're not no. going to die for that. You can, you can die for Christ. Only people only die for. Yeah, they don't die for something Christ. that they know is a lie. Yeah, they won't. That's to me the apostles. You look at them like the proof of Christ. Whether you want to accept any of the archaeological evidence or all of that, just look at these twelve guys. They had no business. If he really didn't rise from the dead, then the guy was nuts. And they would have all gone their separate ways, having wasted their lives. Yeah. But they all died for him. Yeah. Like, one one last one last person that I, I, re, I just thought of that I need to pray to more often, um, my uncle Kevin. Ooh. And the reason why is because my uncle Kevin had Down syndrome. Wow. And he was uh, he was baptized. I'm pretty sure he was confirmed. Um, wow. Received Holy Communion, and 
He was he was not capable of sin. They kind of get a free pass. It's a beautiful he, thing, isn't he, it? He wasn't capable of sin. He was a simple, simple man. And and they are about the happiest people you so would ever happy. meet. He was a very, very cheerful. And he, he died at the, I think he made it to like 60 years old. It's just wow. very old for somebody with Down syndrome. Wow, it really is. And he's like... For sure in heaven. There's yeah. there's like no possible way that he, he never committed a, a sin that he could be Consent damned for. To. And he was he was baptized. So so Uncle Kevin, pray for us. There you go. You know, Jerome Lejeune is another guy who's in this this process of saying there's a whole foundation. I just watched a great uh, documentary about him, his great love and passion for for the least of these, fighting for Downson. He's the guy that discovered the gene, the mm. genome. Oh wow. The the twenty third chromosome. He's the guy that discovered it in nineteen fifty nine and he knew right away. People are going to use this to say we should kill them in the womb. And we finally got his big chance to speak to a bunch of doctors and be celebrated for his discovery. He condemned what he knew they were about to do and that destroyed his career. It's an incredible story, an incredible film. He had a deep love for people with Down syndrome. Yeah. So... If you have Down syndrome relatives who were baptized and have gone to the Lord, if you have uh, little babies who uh, were baptized and died and went to the Lord, those are those are uh, people who we know are in heaven. They can pray for us. Um, that's a good place to start. Make it a joyful part of your devotion. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. We'll see you next time, guys. At Catholic Order of Foresters, we're committed to bringing Catholic values to life and financially protecting Catholic families right here in Minnesota. Our members enjoy benefits like scholarship eligibility and peace of mind knowing their family is secure, even if something happens to them. Each year, thousands join us to support people in need through our Feeding God's Children events, spirituality tap-ins, and mission trips. Wouldn't you love to be a part of an organization that embodies your Catholic values? Find out how you can be a part of Catholic Order of Foresters by calling General Agent Brian Markiton at 763-658-4009. That's Brian at 763-658-4009.